This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This podcast discusses themes that may be distressing to some. Support is available. You can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous support for the LGBTIQ community. QLife services are free and include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTIQ community members across the country. Call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. Hello and welcome to LHA Presents The Latest in LGBTIQ plus health and policy. I'm your host, Triana Butler. Thank you for joining me. Today's episode is a little different to what you might be used to. We're mixing things up. We still want to have our regular larger panel discussions that you're used to, but we're also going to be having more of these smaller, more intimate one-on-one conversations with notable members of our LGBTIQ plus community. Today, I'll be chatting with award-winning youth UK-based poet, performer, playwright, and educator, Joelle Taylor. Her new poetry collection, Kunto and Othered Poems, was released in June of 2021 and enters the private lives of women from the butch counterculture, telling the inside story of the protests they led in the 90s to reclaim their bodies as their own. Part memoir, part conjecture, it explores sexuality and gender in poetry that is lyrical, expansive, imagistic, epic, and intimate. It's been named one of the best poetry books of 2021 by the likes of The Telegraph, The White Review, and The Times Literary Supplement, and it even won Britain's most prestigious award for poetry, the T.S. Eliot Prize. Joelle and I chat about her experiences as a butch lesbian living in 90s London, the stories and characters throughout her life that inspired this incredible book of poetry, as well as discussing the fundamental place poetry has among the LGBTIQ community and the impact it can have on our health and well-being as well. She's also going to share an excerpt from that book, a poem called Heaven 1995. Joelle, thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of The Latest. I know you are very, very busy right now in the middle of this tour of Australia that includes the all About Women Festival. Uh, I think you were on Queer Stories as well the other night, which I think we can now call a, a queer institution in Australia. How's mm. the trip been? Oh, it's been magnificent. I mean, we started uh, at Adelaide Writers Week, which is my favourite international festival, not least because of the weather, but it's a very unusual festival because its audiences are there from 9am and they're majority straight audiences and they're a majority, I'd say, over 60, 65 years old. So I was very concerned about how a book like this would go down with them, but they came. They came with their picnics. It was very strange. Um, We had about 400 people turn up to the event and that was magnificent. But after that, we flew on to Melbourne for 24 hours at the Wheeler Centre, and that was like our homecoming. who were lesbians as far as the eye could see. Some of them, a couple of them, who were actually featured in the book. So some of the, um, some of my old friends from the fictitious Maryville bar, including the bartender, Theresa McIntosh, were in the audience. That was really moving. And then, of course, onto Sydney Opera House, which is a bit of a dream. And taking part not only in the All About Women Festival, but we started the whole 
um, weekend festival, um, but finishing off at Queer Stories as well, which is my second time doing the Queer Stories podcast. And Maeve Marsden is, is a legend, an absolute legend, the way she programs and curates the night her consideration for the sort of diverse stories within our community just make it an absolute honor so so far it's been everything i could have dreamed of now we need to talk about this i think we can now say award-winning book uh, I, i'm going to check to make sure i'm pronouncing this correctly before we start it kunto using the italian that, pronunciation kunto and other poems that's correct, yes. It means to narrate or tell a personal story past singular historic. It's, it's quite an old, uh, I think, uh, Sicilian dialect. I spoke to an agent in Italy who was uh, like, oh, my God, how did you even find that word? <laughs> I Google it. <laughs> Google exists. Well, okay, so it's called Kunto and Other Poems. Tell us about this book and the journey that you went on writing it. So it all began with um, a, a title piece, same name um, when I was asked to write a 12 minute spoken word kind of high lit spoken word piece around the theme of protest um, for Apples and Slicks who are a UK literary spoken word agency um, and I sat down I was in Australia at the time when I wrote it and I sat down to write it and I immediately started lying you know when we start to write about something instead of from something but I hadn't been sleeping well, and I started to miss my friends, my dead friends, the ghosts of, of not just those friendships, but the ghost of my entire scene, the dyke scene in London, which has been decimated over the last 10, 15 years. So it began with that, and it was very popular. It started to get quite a bit of attention, and then a publisher approached me and said, have you got any more pieces like that? And then I sat down. To write what is essentially a memoir about the butch counterculture of late 80s, 90s London. How we found each other, how we survived, how we were each other's friends and lovers, and, and essentially how we died as well. And it's it's a book about ghosts being risen again. Somebody called it, like like not like Lazarus, but like Lazarus. So, you know, the ghosts of ourselves are, are rising again. The elder butches, the silverbacks are coming back. Um and it's it's kind of magic realist as well because everything's set in vitrines, which are glass museum cases, including the central um, piece of the book, which is called Oh Maryville, the Maryville Bar, and it's a sort of honouring of these dirty, filthy oases that we spent our beardless youth in. Um, and that's set inside a snow globe and focuses on the story of four butchers, um, all of whom are based on real people who passed away. So take me back to that time in London in the, the mid-90s. What was that like for you? We have to remember, first of all, that um, back then we didn't come out. We got out. There was a real sense of exile and exclusion. Beyond, I don't think we have anything quite like that in the UK or Australia now. But this sense that um, the only way that you could inhabit your own body was to leave your home, to leave your family your friends, and, and you were widely disliked. It was very common for me to walk into the end shop and a car to stop, throw things at me, spit out the window. At school, you were attacked. So essentially, um, I was from a poor family, so I couldn't afford a train fare or coach. I just hitched a couple of hundred miles to London and eventually um, found my community, which takes a long time because, of course, it takes a lot of courage to even open that door. And that door, that th three inches of wood is the difference between being ugly and handsome, 
between exile and belonging. And that's kind of how it all began for me. When I opened the door, it's like opening a door into yourself, you know. Um, and it was wild. This was the time when dykes were first starting to sexualize themselves. So we weren't, as Ross Kavney says, holding hands in 43 different positions. You know, we were using... We were using instruments. We were using our imagination. We were setting, um, we were creating the idea of the sexed lesbian body and the sexual lesbian body. And we were, we were working class. So there wasn't a lot of academia involved in any of our, our sort of understandings of ourselves. It was visceral um, and very, very joyful. More funerals than parties. No, more parties than funerals. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, that's a turn. I did not expect that to be where that was going. <laughs> now, Joelle, I, I know that you've spoken in the past about how the, the loss of face-to-face encounters in clubs and the fact that, I mean, what we're doing now, speaking to each other through our connected mm. studios and through the internet, that's kind of unraveling the unity of our communities Mm. so how do you see your poetry kind of stitching us back together what else do we need to do okay so first of all when I wrote the book I wrote it in a state of a mild panic and fear because in the UK there is a sense that you're either gender critical or you're a trans rights activist And there are very extreme positions. In each of those positions, the lesbian is unloved and unliked. So gender critical feminism really doesn't like the butches. I'm a butch, really doesn't like that. But then there is the idea that the trans rights activists are very suspicious of lesbians. So I was like, oh, my God, what is going to happen? I have to write this piece of work, but I'm scared. So I wrote it and then I planned a little tour, including Heaven Nightclub which is the largest gay men's club in the UK, maybe in Europe. Um, But it's quite mixed as well. And I went on stage on a night called Polari, run by Paul Burston, who's a bit of a gay icon. Um, And I performed Kanto and got a standing ovation. And it dispelled all the fears. And I started to realise from that one event, when I looked out at the big crowd, you know, there was, it was intergenerational, it was non-binary, it was dykes, it was gay boys, it was trans. You know, it had everybody in there of all different ages and every damn one of them stood up because they wanted to honour this particular story. And I realised at that moment that I'd been believing lies, that things were being constructed online, these debates, which I think a lot of us feed into because it's our main contact with one another, um, that they weren't true. So I think... How this book works is that it allows, it's not just that the audience is communicating with me, that's kind of almost the least part of it, it's that that when they're in that space, they look around and see one another and go, oh, oh, did she just smile at me? What does this mean? Does this mean, does this mean this whole thing is constructed? And that's what I started to believe. So I think it's important, poetry is a way of, it's a bridge between people. Roger Robinson calls a poem a small empathy machine. You know, it's a way of, of, of creating and nurturing feelings between two people and between entire communities. And I think it's important as well to talk about hidden histories. And the butch counterculture is something that really isn't talked about, certainly not um, in the UK. Um, but we are noticing that butches are rising all over the, all over the world and starting to talk about what happens to us 
about the corrective rapes, about the murders, but also about this great sense of understanding between each other. So I think that's how it worked. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Heaven 1995 that you performed there. And, and you touched on that word that it's intergenerational. It's intergenerational oh. storytelling, which is so important just in general, but also particularly among our LGBTQIA plus communities. Mm. Um, so what role do you think poetry itself can play in LGBTIQ plus community connection and liberation? I mean, I think you, you said it in the question. It's about, um, it's about honouring and holding up diverse histories. It's about accepting that two truths can exist in the same space. It's about um, we're invisible, you know, particularly butch dykes are invisible, but many members of our community have that same bizarre thing, which is that we're invisible, but the centre of attention, you know. And so I think it's, it's a way of, of bringing archives to life. It's a way of inspiring other members of the community to start looking at their own histories. History is very, very important. It's the first step in creating a future. You're listening to The Latest. I'm Triana Butler, joined today by Joelle Taylor. Joelle, uh, I believe you have a copy of, of Heaven 1995 there with us that you can share with us. Uh, may I be so bold as to ask you to share Heaven 1995 with us? Yes, darling, you may. So just to give you a little bit of a preamble, everything in the book is set within a different glass museum display case because it's the sense of both wanting to preserve something um, but also the sense that it's been, it's been um, what would you call it, appropriated by, by you know, bigger ideologies. And the idea of the vitrines came from the death of a friend who died very early on in the 90s from AIDS. And was, I was very young then. It was the first time I'd seen a gay man go through this. Um, and there was a space there called The Lighthouse, which was a, both a community centre and a hospice. And uh, we held his funeral there. He used to go there for, you know, for, for support. But he, when he died, he um, was, the funeral was conducted there. And as we filed out of the service, he'd left a whole table of snow globes and we all picked one up and took it away with us, and I still have it. So when I started to write this book, the snow globe was centre. Heaven, 1995. Vinegar, this moment of belief. Club in a fish tank riot genesis. A boy touches her fingertip to a light beam, and God winks a wet eye, maybe... The light is an escalator to the afterlife or after party or the part of her body she checked in the cloakroom. But tonight, all of the dead will dance with her. All of the dead are well-dressed this evening. They solemn the escalator, descend to the dance. Tequila Mockingbird releases her wig back into the wild blows a kiss that exhales into carrion birds, the core of bad lipstick, numb beak scattering round white seeds from which Gautier sailors grow haloed in certainty, their muscles, the shaven heads of women marching back into their bones, a clearing at the centre of them. The butchers peel off their shirts and underneath they are children. Salt this 
boy, how she reaches toward the infinite, this moment between, how she sees the ghosts of those still alive, how she conjures life from life, how the lighthouse winks at the storm. Thank you. Pleasure. I don't even know how to segue from that to asking what's next for you because there's just wanted to leave that a moment to just kind of sink in and, and soak in. While we do that, Joella, what's what's happening next for you? I mean, I'm in Australia now for another sort of 10 days and I've only got a couple more events here, so I'm using the rest of it to complete work on a new book, The Night Alphabet. Um which is a, a, a novel about interconnected stories around about um, focused on a woman's tattoos, the story of each of the tattoos, which is kind of a bit sci-fi and a bit overblown. It's a bit of ghost stories, something for everyone. But um, parallel to that, back in the UK, we are making the book into a stage show. And we've already done our R&D on it. We've cast the four butchers. We've cut some of the poems. In fact, I call it Canto the Musical because I want old school club DJs in the in the vitrines as well, playing throughout it. And we revisit one night in the Maryville bar, the night when the men break in. And um, you'll have to come and see it to find out the rest, but there is a big fight um, between them. But basically, it, we're trying to open the Maryville again, and we're taking it on tour, and we're opening our arms, the doors, to absolutely everyone who wants to come into that space so we can look each other in the eye buy each other a drink and continue with our lives. Well, Joelle Taylor, thank you so much for this conversation today. Thanks for joining us on the latest. Absolute joy to meet you. Thanks for listening to LHA Presents The Latest in LGBTIQ plus health and policy. If this podcast has raised any issues for you, you can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous LGBTI peer support and referral for people wanting to talk about a range of issues, including sexuality, identity, gender, feelings, or relationships. QLife services are free and include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTI community members across the country. Call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. If you would like to suggest a person that you want to hear being interviewed on the podcast, please let us know by emailing info at lgbtiqhealth.org.au and include the podcast in the subject. This podcast was produced by Joy, Australia's rainbow community media organisation. For more information on Joy's podcasting services, please visit joy.org.au forward slash services. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.